Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders, healers, and change agents who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to author, speaker, and teacher, David Romanelli. Do days pass you by and you don't know where they've gone? Do you wish you were doing something else, but you're not even sure what that is? You're going to be so happy to hear today's episode with David because he's not only a long-term yoga practitioner, meditation teacher, and amazing speaker. He interviews elders and takes life lessons from the oldest and wisest and is here giving you their best advice on resilience, as well as how to keep a sense of humor through life. He's here today giving you all kinds of tools for life, for staying positive and being your best self. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope David. Thank you. It's so great to be on with you. Thanks. So it seems like you discovered yoga back in the 90s and you've done a whole iteration of things. You mixed yoga with chocolate, which everyone can't say they've done. Ah. <laughs> that was kind of my favorite thing when really looking up things, anything that mixes chocolate with anything. I'm always, I'm in. But interviewing the elders, I mean, that's actually how I started 52 Weeks of Hope was started as a book with me interviewing on one person a week, an elder about like the meaning of life. And for you interviewing elders and getting their messages from the oldest and the widest, you have two books now of doing that. Yeah. What started you on your path and your journey? And actually, I want to compare those. What are your best messages from your interviews? And what have you gleaned from interviewing the elders? Well, I had been in the yoga world and my last surviving grandparent was in a senior living center in LA and I would visit her and it was so depressing, you know, because everybody in that home was disconnected from the flow of life and it felt like they'd been put out to pasture and it was lacked a voice in popular culture. It just felt like they were so irrelevant. And here I was in the yoga world where the 32-year-old yoga teacher with a big Instagram following was the source of wisdom. And the 88-year-old Holocaust survivor was dying a lonely death in this old age home. And so it was just out of whack. And I started interviewing older people, asking questions, started a series of events all over the country called Drinks With Your Elders where I would bring lone, mostly very lonely older people into their community to share their stories with younger people. I thought it was fascinating. It took a lot of skill to listen and be patient, but I also learned lessons that are very different from what you'd hear from the podcasting jet set who have like, you know, smash it number one, New York times bestsellers. It's different advice that you get. I think tried and true advice that you get from the 103 year old world war II survivor or, you know, the 83-year-old single mom who raised five kids on her own. And, you know, it's interesting to hear what stood the test of time. I agree. I kept being told, you young people need to put down your phones and listen to each other and connect. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that a lot. So what were the messages that you, because I started getting similar messages. I don't know about you, but I definitely, there started to be a theme. I mean, you know, mostly for me, it was really number one resilience that you get knocked down in life and you have to get up and keep trucking. That was number one thing is like, you don't go through this unscathed. Yeah. And while maybe if you kind of like compare what you're going through to somebody your own age, it's one thing, and maybe you can get down on yourself. But if, you know, you talk to somebody who's at, toward the latter stages of life, I mean, almost unfailingly, like everybody in their eighties and certainly nineties, one hundreds has been through really challenging circumstances. And the ones who are still thriving have rebounded from it. 
Not everyone does. Some people stay down and are down for the count, but the ones who are happy and well adjusted, there's a story of bouncing back. Did you see any themes or about how they bounced back? Well, I mean, I think A, it's attitude. B, I think you have to have a good sense of humor. That's huge. And sometimes I think we all lose that. And also the joie de vivre was a theme. Those who embody and live with a certain joie de vivre and remember every day that like, yeah, life is busy and you've got a lot going on, but if you don't take the time to cherish it, that's on you. It's nobody else's fault. There are the three threads that I think created happy, healthy elders, the joie de vivre, the relentless resilience and having a sense of humor. Okay. The time to cherish. I'll go with that first because that's tough. That's really hard. And I was listening to, you were speaking about this at an event and I didn't get to listen to the whole speech. So I don't know where you went with it, but what advice do you give to people about time to cherish those moments and everything else, which is actually my whole intro with you. So how do you help people who say, well, I don't have time for this. I'd love to do yoga. I would love to spend more time with my kids in the morning. I have to get them to preschool. I have to get them here. They don't want to get dressed. <laughs> yeah, trust me. I've got a five and a seven-year-old. and That's why I use that as an example. I know you've got little Yeah, kids. it's really, there are mornings where I'm going crazy. I've so. been there. Mine are in college now, but you never forget not wanting to get dressed part. <laughs> that's why yeah, oh God, it's brutal. But I mean, that's why it's, it's a constant conversation. You know, you got to talk about What did you enjoy about today? And how do you have that conversation? Because usually the conversation we have with people is what's wrong, what hurts, what you need, what's not working to be able to talk about like, here's something really amazing that I really loved about today. And to have that conversation, it's really a family effort. It's a community effort. It's, it is. I don't know how the older I get, the more I realize like the joie de vivre is not always necessarily personal. You know, it's what you do with others. Yeah. I used to drive, we would drive carpool even for elementary school. When the kids get in this car, I'd be like, what are you grateful for? And my kids would be like, mom. Yeah. But the other kids would get in and one kid would say, my mom does that too. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. Those are good moms. That's a good family to have those conversations, you know? Tell my kids. Anyway, that's what it is. It's always the gratitude. It's not just for Thanksgiving and glasses half full. You got to do it. But I mean, it is. It's the 83-year-old woman who told me that she discovered in her 80s how great her daughter is. And some people would say, oh my God, that's so sad. She didn't know that till then. But to me, it was like, it's never too late to change. And I learned that from her. And she learned that tennis is fun instead of competitive in her 80s. And I love that. And she taught me so much. I mean, there are certain interviews that really stand out more than others. And she's like, what a great shot I got instead of I'm going to beat her. Well, I think that's also a big lesson, right? Because in our culture, you think if you haven't done what you're going to do by the time you're 50, I mean, I'm 48. And sometimes I feel like, oh man, I didn't accomplish this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I thought I'd be here by now, but then you realize that a lot of these people who are older are still accomplishing and still unlocking their challenges and goals. And the timeline that we set in our culture for like, you know, retire when you're 55. I mean, those people are, my experience are miserable. If you retire and you do nothing once you're in your fifties and you're bored, even if you're rich, you're bored. And that's another thing that I found is like a lot of the centenarians that I've met, even some super centenarians, 110 or older, you have to be engaged. 
Definitely. So there's a group of 80 something year old women that all have moved in together. And one is on her third book. They've never wrote books before. She's on her third book of poetry. They've all like moved in together because they're all active and their husbands had passed away and they didn't want to go to a home, you know, so they all just moved into a house together. Oh, that's so great. I know, it's amazing. And I was like, this is cool. And I mean, my father volunteers five days a week at a hospital. And when I went to celebrate his 90th birthday at the restaurant, they're like, no, we're expecting an old man. I was in my head, I'm thinking, not my dad. Anyway, when they came in, they go, we know you. Because he doesn't act like an old man because he works five days a week. I mean, doesn't he volunteers, but it keeps him young. Yeah. How old is he? He's 90. It was his 90th oh my birthday. God. Wow. Yeah. Everywhere we went, everyone knew him because go to the hospital. He's the head volunteer. And everybody knows him because it's the first face you see when you go in the hospital, I guess. Yeah. So in researching you and everything, your third book, I guess, came out in 2020? 2018. That was my third book. Yeah. That was called Life Lessons from the Oldest and Wisest. Okay, so that came out. And then in 2020, three No, I haven't had a book since then. I'm just starting fourth book. Okay, because then I see your three-year-old got sick in 2020. Is that right? Yeah, she had leukemia. She's doing great now. Yeah, that's amazing. that, That was a traumatic kind of big turn. And I sort of stopped doing the work with elders, A, because COVID and B, because my focus completely shifted to her healing. And that taught me more than that was the most profound life-changing experience that taught me so much about gratitude and health and love and how we take those things for granted and really changed my sort of my trajectory. But now I really, even just recently said, I'm ready to turn the page on that. I've been telling that story and I want to stop telling that story because I think it's like, She's doing great. It's time to sort of, you can get stuck in the trauma of something like that. Sure. Turn the page on it. And so I really am ready to get back to happy and happy and healthy, which is basically the name of my second book, Happy is the New Healthy and that kind of light approach, the joie de vivre. I think everybody's ready for that again right now. I have a retreat coming up in two weeks here in Arizona, like a yoga and meditation retreat. It's sold out like immediately. Like, I mean, everybody's just ready to, travel and have fun again. (laughs) When you say that changed the trajectory, how do you feel that that changed the trajectory? I mean, what are you living for? You know, it's like we're living for, and when you have a child, especially such a three-year-old who had cancer, it's like, you know, all you care about, you realize is just happy, healthy children and anything else, you'll figure it out. It's so you'll, true. You figure it out. Whatever your challenges are, money or you know, business or finding a home or fixing your exploding pipes. I mean, you could just you could figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a real showstopper. You know, I mean, you have to really take a breath and dig in and understand what health is because a child that's that young as someone said to me very early on is that very young children don't respond to your sadness or your fear. And if you get worried, go in another room and cry because the young children respond to love and affection and joy. And so we created like this cocoon of love and affection and and joy. And I think she really opened up to that and responded to that. And now even still we get times where, you know, I don't get along with my wife and my daughter. So, you know, you have, that happens in a marriage, right? And like we have an argument and she's so sensitive and it throws her off. And so she really kind of holds us 
to it in terms of like being grateful and connected and, you know, in touch and that you have to have quick conflict resolution. Don't bring that crap in the home where you're not getting along or angry. And it's not always, we don't have this perfect idyllic family. Like we have bad days, but like, you know, when we go through anything with her or she goes to the clinic for a monthly checkup or, you know, she's still not done with treatment. She's done in September. You wouldn't know now if you saw her that she had it, but we still get worried when she has even a cold or, you know, she still takes medicines every three months. That makes her a little like emotional and all those things kind of like bring you back to the trauma. And so it reminds us that this is what we went through. This was a very scary time in our lives, but it also taught us so much about resilience because the very young children do really well with leukemia and actually 80% of childhood cancers are cured because children tend to be very resilient. And my daughter would come back from like the clinic and there were days where she'd have four or five types of chemo and she'd run home and go bounce on the trampoline. You know, it was like, if an adult had that, we'd be flat on our backs. So I think there is an innate healing power within us, but it's not always turned on or certainly not turned up. And I think part of that is the story that we wrap around our circumstances and the story we tell ourselves. And we never told her she doesn't know the word cancer and she doesn't know the word chemo. She knows that she was getting superpowers in her tubies. And I mean, I'm sure that's controversial. And some people would be like, well, you're lying to her. You're not telling her the truth. But like, what do you tell a three-year-old, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, this whole thing has only made her stronger and that's how she feels. I'm sure there's going to come a point now she's five where she'll start asking questions and, you know, what was really going on there. And I don't know when that time is, but I'm guessing it's going to happen eventually here and she'll need to hear the real story. <laughs> but right now she got superpowers in her tubies and it only made her stronger. Yeah. So that's resilience. She's five. There's plenty of time for that. I don't yeah. know. So you also talk about when you were young, being at a baseball game and <laughs> with Kirk Gibbs, I'm a big baseball fan. So yeah. hearing you tell the story about where you were when Kirk Gibson hit the home run. Yes. I'm a huge Dodger fan and I was 15. Yeah. My dad took me to game like one of the World Series 1988 and Kirk Gibson hit this dramatic walk off bottom of the ninth, two out, two strike home run and hit it. You know, he couldn't even barely run to first base, let alone second or third. So it was such a desperate situation. And it was one of the greatest moments in the history of sports, forget just baseball. And my dad and I left early to beat the traffic in the parking lot. So we missed it. And so I really have for many years. And the first book I wrote was about living in the moment and how I started off that story because we have this tendency to miss important moments in our lives and the Greek root of the word sin actually means to miss. Like the great sin in life is that we're not present for everything that's happening all the time. So it's a, just a constant reminder to be present. Yeah, I think I'll now think of that. <laughs> I mean, I don't just cringe. There's so many feelings associated with that because I think it's an L.A. thing, leaving games early to miss the traffic. I don't know other cities that actually do that. In Boston, you'd probably like beyond horrified. Really? I don't know. My son goes to school there and nobody was leaving, you know, so I took him to a game. Anyway, you don't leave games. You don't see anyone, the mad exodus before games are over. It's very much an LA thing. That's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, so what do you do to make sure that, and what advice would you have for somebody to help them stay in the moment and not miss? 
their life? Well, it's not easy, right? I mean, it's like there are so many distractions and seductions that it is a real practice. And I mean, I have these meditations that I offer that people subscribe to. I have a podcast called The Blink and it's like short three minute meditations. But then if you like, it's sort of a story driven approach. Let's sit down and here's what's going on in the world. And let's take a moment to reflect on that. It's sports, it's art, it's music, culture. And then some people subscribe to longer format called Meditate On that I offer literally every single day where it becomes a practice and a habit to sit and show up for each other and be willing to make a time in your day that's sacred and kind of like build the muscle that you're able to be present because it's sort of like you have have to build that muscle in your mind where you create the time and space to just reflect and be quiet, listen, breathe. If you don't create that space, society doesn't do that for you. So most people go entire days without any sort of sacred quiet space and being present. It's really hard to do. That's my suggestion. Like create a a practice and a habit where you're kind of show up consistently. Yeah. And we'll have links for all of David's meditations and everything with show notes on the website for all of that. So do you recommend journaling? Do you recommend anything else to just kind of get to your truth? Are there other practices that you do? I mean, I definitely do the gratitude journaling because, and I try to fill a page every day and I will sit with the page until I can fill it because the way I was just sort of reading about gratitude. I mean, so the most interesting thing I've ever learned about gratitude is you have to be a badass to be grateful because gratitude is morally and intellectually demanding. And by that, I mean, the default setting for almost everyone is you wake up and here's what you need and here's what's broken and here's one kid's complaining and everything needs to be fixed. And it takes a different part of the brain to actually wake up and be like, wow, this is beautiful. I'm so lucky. Everyone's healthy. We're good. That's not the default. And so you have to be sort of a badass to get to that part of your mind and build this kind of you know strength where you're able to shift the conversation when you're feeling like you're in a state of deficit and you're able to shift the conversation when you're talking to a family member or coworker who's telling you what needs to get done. And you could be like, let's just take a moment to celebrate what we've got. And, you know, my daughter was in the hospital and we were on the oncology floor at a children's hospital. I mean, it taught me a lot. It would sound like the scariest, worst place you could ever be in And in some ways it is frightening. But also it taught me so much about gratitude because, I mean, honestly, the type of cancer that she had was the most treatable form of cancer. And we actually felt lucky, if you can believe that. Like, you know, our child had cancer, but we felt lucky because it was something that they have a path to healing. Like 90% of kids are cured and go on to live normal lives. And that was the overwhelming feeling. You know, I mean, that was hard-earned wisdom. (laughs) And that taught me if we can have a normal evening at home and everyone's healthy, like I feel lucky, but I never used to be, I never felt that level of gratitude, that purity of gratitude before she went through this. And so, you know, I think that gratitude is hard-earned wisdom and it's easy to pay it lip service and most people do, but to be able to sit there and really feel how lucky you are. Sometimes you have to go through something very dramatic and intense to understand that. Yeah, that's actually true. I've been exchanging gratitude lists with my friends for over 10 years daily. 
it does take something very traumatic, I think, to get to where you're willing to even do that. Yeah. I mean, as if you're sitting there talking to someone who's truly grateful and you feel that, I think that's a real badass in my opinion. I don't know if I'd use the word badass, but I understand that's where you're coming from on it. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. So I think I know the answer to this, but what's the hardest thing you've ever gone through? How'd you get through it? I mean, obviously that was yeah, really hard, I but we got through it and we're doing great. And it shows that the hardest thing that you are facing if you can get to the other side of it and go through it, that it'll make you stronger. I think that's a big lesson with elders that I've talked to that have been through dramatic events. Most, not all, but most are able to talk about, like I talked to tons of Holocaust survivors Mm -hmm. and heard their stories about what they learned and what it taught them. There's a 103 year old World War II survivor that I've become friendly with who just turned 103, like a month ago. And on his birthday, he went out for a night of dancing. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, his stories fought in the front lines in Germany and, you know, one of every two people he served alongside did not make it home. And, you know, the fact that he made it home, who's felt like, you know, I think he was living on what's the expression? House money. Uh, Yeah, I know. House money. Oh, house money. (laughs) That's funny. And he should live and he should dance and he should be alive because he got to live. It wasn't a survivor's could have gone. That's the opposite. Yeah, no, I got it. Yeah, and I think that's like you go through these things and how do you come out of it? You're either unappreciative and you're asking for something to repeat itself or you're, I'm so lucky, this is a gift. And that's your attitude. Yeah, there's a reason you're still here. Yeah, definitely. That's great. What's the most common question you're asked when you tell people that this is what you do? Well, I mean, what I do now is primarily story-driven meditation. So it's in the past, it was like yoga, combining yoga with pop culture passions. I did yoga and chocolate, yoga and wine, yoga for foodies, yoga and jazz. And I kind of merged into the stories of the elders. And now I'm kind of really focused on how do you integrate meditation with culture? So I imbue my meditations with stories of elders, but also like, how do you take meditation and help people further explore what they love? So I'm doing this series right now on pets, meditating with your pets, because a lot of people tell me when they're meditating, their dog or cat kind of cuddles up into their lap. So we're doing, I'm doing, working on a series on that, another series with chocolate and how do you enjoy exotic Vosges chocolate when you're present and your senses are heightened. So that's kind of like what I do now is getting more people into meditation. And that's what I really love in these days. How do you get people to commit to quiet time and to kind of releasing their worries, opening the pressure release valve and finding creative like ways to get people to do that. And that's my path in this present moment. It's a very meandering path through life. Yeah. I don't have like one thing I do. I never have. All of whatever you're called to. Yeah. Which is fabulous. Do you have a message of hope you want to give? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, if you're alive right now and your people that you love are healthy, you're so lucky. It's such a gift. And if you're not currently in a state where you're able to cherish that the people you love are healthy, that should be the work today. (laughs) Figure out how to get there because, you know, health is everything. And I never understood that or appreciated that. I used to worry about my parents getting sick, you know, and now I don't worry about that anymore because it's like the natural progression of life is that just like you have to be grateful for your health. It's the foundation for everything that's good in our lives. 
And if we can't sit and be grateful for our health, that's the big unlock, in my opinion. Just telling you this and reminding myself about it makes me remember that all the things I have to do the rest of the day aren't that big of a deal, you know? Yeah, it's so true. That was so good. Is there something I should have asked you that you'll be like, I can't believe Lauren didn't ask me this, that I should have asked you? I mean, I think that I'm sitting here and sharing all these stories with you and like, maybe it sounds like figured a lot out. And what I realized is that every day is a challenge in maintaining joy and maintaining gratitude. It's not like I wake up and I'm this like perfectly joyful, grateful person. So it's like, you have to have practices that allow you to get back to that place. It's not just like I wake up and I'm snapped into it. I think that a lot of the times the people that we see that we admire behind the scenes, you know, they have real challenges too, and more than they're willing to admit. And so I think like everybody that the more I, the older I get, the more I realize like that when you have practices and habits that you stick to and that you are able to maintain a level of gratitude and joy that makes life really beautiful. So yeah, practices and habits. That's why I have this, um, these daily meditations that I'd love to share with everybody. Yeah, definitely need that meditation. And I like that you called it a muscle because it is definitely that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. Appreciate it so much. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you David's messages of presence, meditation, and humor. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. Be sure to tune in next week for another empowering episode all about overcoming challenges, confidence, and how to take that next step, staying aligned with your true self. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what it is that you're struggling with the most right now so I can make sure I'm giving you the topics that you want to hear the most. Let me know what you liked on this episode, what you didn't like. You can just go ahead and tag me on social media or go to the website at 52weeksofhope.com and send me a message. Be sure to join the Facebook group. It's a safe space and really good community for us to share with each other. If you're enjoying the podcast, share the love and tell two of your friends. I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.